0: This is Zombie Chickens Podcast, where two heads are better than one, even if they're undead. My name is Marnay.
1: And my name is Megan.
0: And in this episode, we are going around the world tasting different culinary delicacies that has changed modern history of food, so to speak.
1: So basically just the top 10 foods of the world, <laughs> according to what was the article? Or I don't I... know.
0: It was just a very long article. Yes. When you said it took a mile to scroll down, I thought you exaggerated. No,
1: it, it literally took me 20 years.
0: <laughs> like 75 different foods of the world.
1: Yeah, I am currently now 50
0: years old. So, um, no. It, uh, 49 to be exact. To be exact.
1: So, with that, we will, obviously, it is according to this article, the top 10 foods of the world. It's not everyone's favorite top 10 foods of the world. Mm-hmm. So, just bear that in
0: mind. I don't know about you, but I got all the food that I don't like.
1: When I went through the list and I saw which ones you got, I was laughing my ass off. Because it's I was
0: yours. Like, it's I w-
1: actually the stuff <laughs> you like to eat. But there's nothing on that list that I don't eat. Like, literally, the top 10 is my... That I would eat.
0: Like, it's not... I'm not a picky eater. So, it it doesn't... Like... I was like, "Mm, yeah, this is is definitely Megan's list. This is not my list. Yeah, I
1: think my list would be more towards your taste preference. But I would eat both five... Yours and mine. So... I know. I know. Oh... I don't know if you've saw, but on the article, they actually asked the people, um, I think they asked the company um, that wrote the article, people in their company, that if that certain food deserved its spot I in the saw, top. I saw,
0: I saw. But it's quite difficult because adopting is difficult with food. I mean, I don't even think I can list my top number one food that I prefer. I, Oh, I can I, I can list 10 things that I like, but I can't say this is my favorite one. Well,
1: I can list my top three, but it's interchangeable. So it depends mm. on what I'm craving at that moment. Yeah, but exactly. The, that would be my top three foods, mm. but it's in the tra- it, it depends on what I feel like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and I think there was only two of the top 10 lists that the people from that company said that it doesn't belong on the list and I think there is only two is in my list, in my five. Oh. You don't have, all the ones you have, it said yes. that they were meant to be there. Mm. I have two in my list. I will, I will say after I read
0: which one it is, okay. which one. Okay, So obviously I didn't read your part, I only yes. read my part.
1: Yeah, See, so yeah, I while I was searching through websites, I obviously read most of mm. them, yeah. Mm.
0: So, starting at number 10 we have dim sum. So, I went and <laughs> made a Marnay rating of the food and I give it a 3 out of 10 because I don't like dim sum. <laughs> okay, and which is also unfair because dim sum, dim sum is a variety of different foods. Yeah. And I had dumplings, like pork dumplings, and I can't deal with the consistency, I can't deal with the taste, I can't deal with the smell so that's why i'm giving it a three out of ten but i will try other variances of dim sum but in any case the original meaning of the term dim sum uh, remains unclear and debated dim sum is part of the chinese tradition of snacks originating from the song dynasty which is between uh, 960 and 1279 when royal chefs created various dishes such as minced pheasant lark tongue and desserts made from steamed milk and bean paste. Guangzhou experienced an increase in commercial travel in the 10th century. At that time travelers would frequent tea houses for small portion meals and tea called Yamcha or drink tea meals. Yamcha includes two re- related options. The first translates literally as one cup two pieces. This refers to the custom of serving tea house customers two pieces of delicacy made food items, savoury or sweet, to com- to complement their tea. The second part which means dim sum translates literally to touching heart or heart touching, either way. Hmm. This is a term used to designate the small food items that accompanied the drinking of tea. During the 13th century when Mongols invaded China, the royal court fled to southern China, bringing a royal influence to the dim sum of Guangzhou. I have no idea how to pronounce this. Guangzhou, yeah. Guangzhou was a wealthy large port city that had international visitors, a temperate climate and coastline where fresh and tropical ingredients were grown, resulting in an ideal environment for food and entertainment. In Guangzhou, street vendors and tea houses sold dim sum. The practice of having tea with dim sum at teahouses eventually evolved into modern yum cha. While at the teahouses, travelers selected their preferred snacks from uh, carts. Visitors at teahouses often socialized as the ate, and business people negotiated deals over dim sum. Cantonese dim sum culture developed rapidly during the later half of, of the 19th century in Guangzhou. Tea house dining areas were typically located upstairs and initial dim sum fare included steamed buns. Mm. Eventually, these evolved into specialized dim sum restaurants. The variety and quality of dim sum dishes rapidly followed suit. Cantonese dim sum was originally based on local foods such as sweet roast pork called cha uh, ja sui, and fresh rice noodles. As dim sum continued to develop, Chefs introduced influence and, influences and traditions f- uh, from other regions of China, which created a starting point for the wide variety of dim sum available today. Chefs created a large range of dim sum that even today com- compromises most of tea dim sum offerings. Part of this development included reducing portion sizes of larger dishes originally from northern China, such as stuffed steamed buns, so they would easily be incorporated into dim sum menu. The rapid growth in dim sum restaurants was due partly because the people found the preparation of dim sum dishes to be time-consuming and preferred the convenience of dining out and eating a large variety of baked, steamed, pan-fried, deep-fried and braised foods. Dim sum continued to develop and also spread throughout southwards of Hong Kong. Although there was an increased awareness of dim sum, one chef from Hong Kong who immigrated to San Francisco noted that diners in the U.S. usually focus on the food itself and not the communal aspects of dim sum. Although dim sum is a Chinese meal, it is a communal dining and social experience that can span hours. Yeah, and that's something we don't really do. We eat and do our own thing. If you think about it, it's not like what the Chinese tradition where they sit... And eat for hours, basically. Nibbling here, nibbling there.
1: Yeah. Not really. I'm not sure. (laughs) I don't think... It depends on... From people to people here in South Africa, I guess.
0: Same. But just thinking about it, you know, it's a dim sum... What I can gather from it as well. It's more of a culture as well. Mm. But anyways. It is customary for large groups to enjoy dishes together as a leisurely social activity. Diners go to restaurants early, around 10am, and rather than ordering a whole table of food, they order small amounts. Have a cup of tea, read the newspaper, and wait for the friends and family to join them. As a result, a visit to a dim sum restaurant can last from a late morning to well in the afternoon. For some people in Hong Kong, dim sum is a daily routine and a way of life. Hmm. Since the dim sum tradition has not always presented in some US dim sum restaurants, however, it approaches to generate interest and attract customers, include customized seasoning and flavors of traditional dishes, as well as creating novel dishes with an emphasis on enhanced flavors and visual appeal. But there's something like over a thousand flavors of dim sum. Because that's obviously with with the westernization and, 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 and. Yeah. But that's dim sum. And would you give it a rating?
1: Um, I haven't had enough dim sum to
0: That's the problem because it's I, it's... I like
1: the, the things I've had. I I love dumplings, I loved steam bums, steam steam bu- steam bums. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um mm, <laughs> nutty. Steam,
1: steam bums. Uh, no, I love steamed buns. I never had steamed buns before. It's really good. Oh, they're so fl- it's like it's such a interesting texture compared to anything that i've ever had it's so fluffy and squ- squ- squishy and <laughs> it's it's really good it's really good
0: yeah that's why i say i'll try it again because dim summer's it's a large variety and um but i like pork more than you do though exactly so, and it uh, does have a very pork yeah flavor. so
1: see i i love like pulled pork steamed buns and those type of things
0: but pulled pork oh, was normally so not good. that pork flavor. The dum- dumplings is very... Yeah, they pork. don't...
1: It's not really seasoned pork.
0: Uh, with exactly.
1: Like marinated pork. It's
0: exactly. I have marinated pork, pork uh, only with people that I know how, that knows how to make pork. Yeah. Otherwise, I won't eat it. But...
1: but yeah, mm. see, I and I love, like, dumplings and those things as well. So, I, I don't mind steamed. I mm. uh, mean steamed. I don't mind pork dumplings. and, mm. So... Enjoyed. I've never had like a big variety of dim sum though.
0: Yeah, that would be fun to try different varieties. Because that's would a thing of dim sum is definitely. a variety yeah. of small but portions. We should actually see because there should be
1: like traditional Chinese restaurants in Cape
0: Town. Cape Town. Mm. But I want to go to, um, I can't remember the restaurant's name, but it's a very Japanese styled um, restaurant. I'd like to go there, have some ramen.
1: Yeah, I want to try the. I know that I know of a few Japanese restaurants. Mm. That's and I also really want to go. There's a Korean barbecue place. Oh yes. I want to go there as well. Yes. I'm making myself hungry again. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah, so I I like. The dim sum I've had, I liked, but it wasn't mm. also. It wasn't from a traditional
0: Chinese. It was from a vendor.
1: Yeah. So the, the steamed buns from, was from a vendor and then the, all the dumplings I've had was like from Simply Asia, like those oh, places. Oh, okay. So it's like generalized restaurants that's technically mm, not mm, 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 traditional. I
0: hear you. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But I have been in like this really tiny um, traditional Japanese restaurant in, where were we? the way I was. Hmm. I think it, it wasn't it was in England. No. Was it? It was in I think it was in the UK. <laughs> if I, I I get so confused between the places. I think it was in the UK <laughs> and it was like there's really, really tiny mm. Um, you had to like actually go look for it and you can easily miss it because it has the curtains in front like the traditional so like and it's really tiny it's probably the there's like there's only four tables in the entire place and it's so good it was amazing and they it's serve is
0: weird it's always those weird dodgy yeah. looking places that actually gives you really and it, good food and it
1: was a it was owned and cooked the cook was japanese it was owned by a japanese family oh wow and they had like a traditional japanese menu with like mm. and i had some japanese beer as well hmm. with soju and soju as well no hmm. soju is korean I mean... Sake. Sake. <laughs> <laughs> just about say, mm, No, it's... It doesn't it's, sound... It's like, it S. The... No, soju is Korean. Okay. But yeah, it, it was really good. Okay, So what's yours? So my one... Number uh, nine. My first one is number nine. And it's mochi. Mochi. Uh, mochi is... um. One of the ones that was said that it it doesn't belong on the list. <laughs> Why? Because some of the, the comments said that it's something... It is really good. It's just that they don't feel... that It should it, be that it high. Feel it, yeah, they don't feel it should be that high. Oh. So I'm not... I've never had mo- mochi, Same. so I can't say the reasoning behind it. But if you think about it, it's flavored rice cake. Mm. So but I've seen videos how to make it. I think it's also um, some the texture puts some people off mm. because it's very it looks
0: it's, gloopy,
1: it is gloopy, it's glutinous rice. So it's mm. very, yeah. So basically, mochi. Japan and Korea both have similar pounded glutinous rice foods known as mochi and teok. The exact origin of mochi is unknown, though it is said to have come from China. The cakes of pounded glutinous rice appear to have become a new year's treat during Japan's Heian period. As early as the 10th century, various kinds of mochi were used as imperial offerings at religious ceremonies. Uh, Dictionary dating from before 1070 Calls the rice cake mochi Mochi So with a double I Around the 18th century People began to call it mochi So there's a difference in saying it
0: Pronunciation
1: Yeah, you, you lengthen the E So it's mochi and mochi So that's the difference Various theories explain the name One is that mochi came from the verb mochi to hold or to have signifying that mochi is food given by God. The word mochizuki means full moon. Um, people of the West and Southwest islands called it mochimi meaning stickiness. <laughs> A matchbox sized piece of mochi has the same caloric content as a bowl of rice. Yeah.
0: so you should only eat
1: one. <laughs> yeah, so just be mindful of um, how much mochi you take in. Japanese farmers are said to eat mochi on cold winter days to increase their stamina. Samurai took mochi to the battlefield because it was easy to carry and to prepare. Hmm. The sound of samurai pounding mochi was a sign that they were about to go into battle
0: oh Hmm.
1: mochi tsuki the traditional mochi pounding ceremony in japan so it's mochi tsuki tsuki, is a traditional mochi pounding ceremony in japan is often performed by traditional rural or wealthier households on december 29th in the preparation for new year's celebrations it can be performed at any time of the year though and is often part of local festivals and celebrations hmm. but it is uh, more of a new year's hmm. thing there's different type of mochis there is kagami mochi literally meaning mirror rice cake so kagami means mirror and mochi so rice mirror cake. as in the sense of shiny or? as in mirror it's kagami means mirror Okay. Yeah. So Kagami mochi is a traditional Japanese New Year's New Year decoration consisting of two round mochi cakes. The smaller placed on top atop the larger with a dai dai a j a Japanese bitter orange. Ooh. With an attached leaf set on top. So a dai dai. It is actually called a mirror cake because it has a reflective uh, like a shiny okay okay okay. like the
0: mirror cakes they make basically yeah like that shininess
1: yeah similar but it's because um years ago they had a mirror that looked similar in shape and similar it looks similar to what the mochi kagami mochi looks like
0: okay so that's
1: why it's called that and there's dango dango are eaten year-round but the different variants are traditionally eaten at different seasons three to four dango are often served on a skewer so it's usually about it's quite small they make it quite small it's actually not that big i would say it's like how can i if you know uh the small jawbreaker sizes (laughs) like it's it's quite a
0: good reference yeah jawbreakers (laughs) it's it's 90s kids.
1: Yeah. It's the same size than that. The many different variants of Dango, Dango, not Dango, Dango, are usually named after the various seasons served on or with them. Um, so you get like Sakura flavor oh, and wow. things like that. And those are all the ones that are served with like um, the Sakura flavor. Festival season mm-hmm. when it's, it's the start of spring, mm-hmm. so those are served and then and then they ha- usually have usually they usually have w- like one with green, white and pink and then pink one is usually sakura the green one is usually green tea or mm-hmm. matcha. matcha yeah so it depends. Um, and there's mochi ice cream which is the one that's basically more popular mm-hmm. so it's a layer of mochi filled with Oh, and then ice cream filling. Oh, wow. So that's, most people call it mochi, Mm. but it's actually mochi ice cream. Mochi refers to the rice cake. Mm. So if you would go buy mochi at a place, it's usually going to be the mochi with the ice cream inside, Mm. or red bean paste, Mm. or you get matcha Mm -hmm. as well. It depends on what paste is inside. But... Small balls of ice cream are wrapped inside mochi cov- a mochi covering to make mochi ice cream. The mochi has been modified to make it soft at cold temperatures. Mochi ice cream was first manufactured in Japan in 1981 by the Korean conglomerate Lotte as Yukimi Daifuku. <laughs> <laughs> Yukumi, yuku, yukimi Daifuku. Snow viewing Daifuku. That's what it means. in In nineteen ninety three, Mikawaya began manufacturing mochi ice cream in the United States, where it is it is becoming increasingly popular and is sold in chocolate, mango, green tea, coffee, vanilla, and strawberry flavors.
0: I don't like coffee flavored anything. Like coffee flavored cake, oh, coffee flavored sweets, yeah, see, coffee I'm flavored chocolate. I'm not
1: bothered. But you also don't like strawberry flavoured if it's not flavoured. Artif- ay- ay- fra- ay- real <laughs> <laughs> real no, strawberry. I don't like
0: strawberry artificial flavours. Yeah, so... But I have strawberry um, yoghurt, which does have artificial strawberry flavouring in it, yeah. which doesn't make fucking sense. <laughs> so, apparently, mochi is actually a
1: very high um, choking... It has a very high choking hazard. Really? Because people... Because of... its. Consistency and texture, people forget that they need to chew it, so they just want to swallow it. Um, but by just swallowing it, obviously, you have to chew it. People think because of the texture, you don't need to chew it.
0: Okay, so what we need to take home today is chew, don't swallow. Yes, yeah,
1: so if you go eat, please. <laughs> <Gail> swallow. <yes. laughs> so, people, if you eat mochi, please chew, chew it first but luckily those people when they eat mochi they eat mochi ice cream uh. so it's a very very small amount of mochi around the
0: ice cream mm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so take on to that chew don't swallow yeah
1: <laughs> and mochi can have um Actually, you can have savory flavors as well as sweet flavors. But oh, really? sweet flavors are more common. But mochi... Yeah, because
0: I've never heard of a savory flavored mochi. All the videos I've seen was more, you know, sweet. Sweet favorite. It is a delicacy.
1: so. Mm. But they put mochi in soups and oh, ramen and um, miso soup. Mm. And they do it in as well. They make these blocks that they harden the mochi mochi. so what you do you actually like fry it Mm. and it makes like a hard, crispy exterior and then like a gooey interior interior inside so when you you like sort of pull it apart like you would string cheese it will like give a pull yeah so there's a lot of different variation of how you can eat plain mochi Mm. but that is pure plain rice cake so Mm. the doesn't really have a flavor mm. so that's why it's nice to accompany with miso soup and things like mm. that because that makes sense. yeah
0: that makes sense yeah anyway so at number eight not nine number eight i have here the cheeseburger the cheeseburger which i gave nine out of ten <laughs> a
1: very good Marnei rating yes which is probably going to be one of the only ones that has a high marnae rating
0: no, there's another one. Oh, okay. I can't remember which one, but there's another one. <laughs> there's another one, okay. There's another one. Um, okay, so to start off, we need to start off with the hamburger history. Yes. Because you can't have the cheeseburger without knowing the... The history of a hamburger. Of a hamburger. Yes. In any anyway, case. So the hamburger is one of the world's most popular food, which is not really news for us, but with nearly 50 billion served... Up annually in the United States alone. Damn. No wonder they are so fat. <laughs> I mean, we can't um, talk. I, I just want to say, South, South Africa can't... is also one of the highest we, we, obesity. We
1: like our yeah. We also have one of the highest obesity. T-
0: mm. So. Mm-hmm. 50 billion. My brain Damn. broke. Any case. Although the humble beef patty on a bun is technically not much more than 100 years old, it is part of a far greater lineage linking American businessmen, World War II soldiers, German political refugees, medieval traders and Neolithic farmers. Because it is actually quite difficult to trace back the burger. Mm. So the groundwork of the ground beef sandwich was laid with the domestication of cattle in Mesopotamia around 10,000 years ago and with the growth of Hamburg in Germany as an independent trading city in the 12th century, where beef delicacies were popular. Now, let's jump ahead to 1848, that's when political revolutions shook the 39 states of the German Confederation, spurring an increase in German immigration to the United States. With German people came German food, beer gardens, while, other, while butchers offered a, a panoply of traditional meat preparations. Because Hamburg was known as an exporter of high quality beef, restaurants began offering Hamburg-style chopped meat. Hmm. In the mid-19th century, America preparations of raw beef had been chopped, chipped, ground or scraped were a common prescription of for digestive issues. Can you believe it? After New York doctor James H. Salisbury suggested an 1867 that cooked beef patties might be just as healthy cooks and physicians alike quickly adopted the salisbury steak around the same time the first popular meat grinders for home use became widely available salisbury endorsed one called the american (laughs) chopper setting the stage for an explosion of readily available ground beef Hmm. so that's just basically the idea behind the burger itself yeah the burger seems to have made its jump from plate to bun in the last decades of the last decades of the 19th century, though the site of this transformation is highly contested. Lunch wagons, fee stands, and roadside restaurants in Wisconsin, Connecticut, Ohio, New York, and Texas all have been put forward as possible sites of the hamburger's birth. Whatever its genesis, the burger on a bun found is first. It's first wide audience was at the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair, which also introduced millions of Americans to new foods, ranging from waffle ice cream cones and cotton candy to peanut butter and iced tea. I think that's what I've, wanted, I've always wanted to see um, from history, if I could go back, is the World's Fair. Because that's where everything is going to be. Every new single idea, every new single food would be mm. there. But any case... Two years later, though, disaster struck in the form of Upton Sinclair's jun- journalistic novel, The Jungle, which detailed the unsavory side of the American meatpacking industry. Industrial ground beef was, e- was easy to adulterate with fillers, preservatives and meat scraps, and the hamburger became a prime suspect. Which makes sense. Because, I mean, uh, using scraps is going to fill up the meat, like yeah. a bit of lung... But of that. but uh, Obviously. And now it's just cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> or horse meat, if we're lucky. Or horse meat. <laughs> the hamburger might have remained on the semier margins of American cuisine, were it not for the vision of Edgar Billy Ingram and Walter Anderson, who opened the first White Castle restaurant in Kansas in 1921. White Castle countered the hamburgers' meat low reputation by becoming defenders of cleanliness, health and hygiene. Ingram even commissioned a medical school study to show the health benefits of hamburgers. <laughs> Again, huh his system which included on premise meat grinding, worked well and was inspirational for other national hamburger change, founded in the boom years of after the World Second World War. Like McDonald's and in and out Burger, both founded in 1948, Burger King, which was founded in 1954, and Wendy's in 1969. Hmm. Good year. Summer of 69. So, if we go to, um, oh, but I forgot to mention this, though. The, the big problem with the hamburger thing is is because um, there was something that I read that was mentioned is sandwiches. Mm. Because sandwiches was invented way before hamburgers so to speak. Yeah. In, if you have to put it in in quotations what? quotations. There you go. <laughs> um, because everyone thinks that the fourth duke of sandwich invented the sandwich. No it wasn't. It was uh, just named after him. Because he liked to play poker. And instead of Uh, making his hands dirty he would send the servants downstairs to the kitchen and oh and also he played quite a long period so it was Mm -hmm. very early hours where the kitchens were closed so he would send servants downstairs to get anything that i that i could find that was still edible or what whatever was left and put it between two pieces of bread so he just got the name sandwich from him because he was the fourth duke of sandwich just named after him but it's not. People generally believe that it he invented it. No, he didn't. It was named after him, the fourth Duke of Sandwich. But adding cheese to hamburgers became popular in the late nineteen twenties and mid nineteen thirties. There are several competing claims to who created the first cheeseburger. Lionel Sternberger is reputed to have introduced a cheeseburger in nineteen twenty six at the age of sixteen. He was working as a fry cook at his father's Pasadena, California sandwich shop, the right spot, and experimentally dropped a slab of American cheese on a sizzling hamburger. An early example of cheeseburger appearing on a menu is in a 1928 menu for the Los Angeles restaurant O'Dell's, which listed a cheeseburger smothered with chili for 25 cents. (laughs) (laughs) If only we could pay 25 cents for a burger. Yeah. (laughs) Other restaurants also claim to have invented the cheeseburger. For example, Kalen's restaurant in Louisiana, Kentucky, said it invented the cheeseburger in 1934. One year later, a trademark for the name cheeseburger was awarded to Louis Ballast for the Humpty Dumpty drive-in in in Denver, Colorado. According to Steak and Shake archives, the restaurant founder Gus Belt applied for a trademark in the word in the 1930s. The steamed cheeseburger, a variant almost exclusively served in General Connecticut, is believed to have been invented at a restaurant called Jack's Lunch in Middleton, Connecticut in the 1930s. But the largest cheeseburger ever made weighed 2,014 pounds, which doesn't make sense because it's 914 kilograms. Damn. Jesus. You can feed an army with that. Damn. It is said to have included. I'm not gonna. 60 pounds, which is 27 kilograms of bacon, 50 pounds, which is 23 kilograms of lettuce, 50, okay, 23 kilograms of sliced onions, 40 pounds, which is 18 kilograms of pickles, and 40 pounds, which is 18 kilograms of cheese. This record was set in 2012 by Minnesota's Blackbird Casino, breaking the previous record of 881 pounds, which is 400 kilograms. That's like doubled, more than doubled. Damn. In the United States, National Cheeseburger Day is celebrated annually on September the 18th. Hmm. So let's make Sep- September the 18th National Cheeseburger Day.
1: Yeah, make it
0: International Cheeseburger Day. Hmm. <laughs> Why not?
1: Uh Oh, well, I love cheeseburger, so... Um Especially
0: Makiti's
1: Yeah, so popular. I obviously do my Megan rating as 10 out of 10. <laughs> but <yeah. laughs> So next on my list is number seven. And it's Jiaozi Chinese dumplings. So the history and origin. According to legend, during the Eastern Han Dynasty there lived a famous physician of traditional chinese medicine named Zhang Zhongjing Zhang Zhongjing
0: Jing. Zhang Zhongjing like Zang that
1: Jing, who introduced dumplings 1800 years back Joe the medical saint was returning to his ancestral village after a long period of absence during that winter the febrile disease was turning into an epidemic Many poor people and his fellow citizens submitted to the cold weather because of the lack of warm clothes and sufficient food and suffered frostbite, mainly around the ears. Seeing their condition, Zhang was determined to do something to get get them rid of the frostbite. He cooked lamb, black peppers and a few medicinal herbs, shredded them and wrapped it in the scrape of dough, dough skin. He shaped them like ears and boiled them. Everyone ill were given the two ears along with a bowl of warm soup. After a few days, the frostbite was gone and the epidemic was under control. Since then, most people begin imitating Zhang's recipe with additional ingredients like vegetables and other kinds of meat to celebrate Chinese New Year. A doctor in China, Wang Lingxiang talks about how, apart from having a wonderful taste, Zhang's recipe can help promote blood flow and thaw cold ears. Although people love to call dumplings to as jiaozi, they were originally named Jiao for its shape of tender ears. From winter solstice to New Year's Eve, Zhang went distri- distributing the dumplings among all the villagers who has recovered, who had recovered from their illnesses, from their illness. A uh, few other theories suggest that Jiaozi may have been introduced from dumplings in Western Asia. During the period of Three Kingdoms, Jiang Yi mentioned Jiaozi in his book Guangia, in the Northern Qi Dynasty. So Ji, yi wrote about how the Jiaozi shaped like crescent moon was someone everyone around the world loved. Chinese archaeologists found a bowl of jiaozi in the tombs of Tang Dynasty in Turpan. Since jiaozi also resembled gold and silver ingots that were used as currency during the Ming Dynasty, serving them was believed to bring prosperity. Families loved to have them at midnight on Chinese New Year's Eve. Some of them even hide a clean coin inside the jowzie for the fortune of one to find it.
0: Hmm.
1: So you get different types. You get boiled dumplings, steamed dumplings, mm. as well as pan-fried dumplings. Mm. Oh, and the, this is the, what is believed each type of filling gives the person eating it. Oh. So a filling made of beef is thought to have encouraged financial growth. Those made of fish could signify a surplus of wealth for the dis- the diner. Good luck and wealth for another 100 years or be- for another 100 years or believed to be brought by fillings fillings made by cabbage. Salary dumplings could bring about money as it is as it signifies diligence. Mushroom dumplings bring fortune and wealth to all those who eat them.
0: Okay, so I need to eat all of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, just take a whole plate of oh, various. Cabbage. <laughs> I hate <cabbage. laughs> various dumplings, but yeah. So that is the jauzi, huh. and this is also one of them that is on the list that they say. Um, that it shouldn't be that high on the list. Oh. Um, I think it's because it's. They everyone loves dumplings, but it's not sushi. No, <laughs> no, it's not. It's a traditional dish. It's not a popular dish. Mm. So it meaning it's it's more popular in the Chinese culture yeah. than a worldwide popular thing. Well, that is starting to get popular. Yeah, it is definitely starting to get popular. I think it's very popular in. Um, America as well we have
0: more you know immigrants you know um chinese immigrants and yeah um, we also have a lot of chinese immigrants but they eat i don't know what the hell they eat it always smells like cabbage when you go to the five and stores i don't know why but um yeah so that's that's mine so with number six i have my least favorite paella <laughs> i give it a marina rating of zero I just (laughs) don't like paella you know you can get um, paella without seafood right I know I didn't know this it makes sense after I read this like duh you can get so I will definitely try it without the seafood but me growing up it's something I grew up with and, and never liked and
1: but it also depends on who made it for you
0: no it was a real Spaniard my grandfather had this best friend called Ramos, and mm. he was a real Spaniard. And every time, oh, Jesus, I can still remember it. Every time we had a braai and Ramos would come, they would make paella. Oh. I know. You told me about this hatred of yours. <laughs> Don't worry. I know
1: I know about it. But yeah, um, I, I think I, they made us
0: other food, but yeah. still, I mean, you can still smell the paella throughout the whole house. Oh, oh. Yeah. which is funny because i come from a family that fishes which yeah. is weird because it would make me no, a person a, that would eat crayfish no but that's the thing you fucking only like fish and that's it mm. my brother doesn't eat only fish. C- only certain
1: type of fish do you no, like
0: no no eat fish
1: no a certain types of fish would cooked you cook like,
0: fish would you eat most other types of fish yeah if it's cooked sure yeah <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> definitely
1: if it's cooked but yeah i i've had a paella, paella or paella but we say paella but it's paella, 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 paella. you don't, you don't
0: I, I know it i know it's paella
1: yeah same so um i've had with chicken
0: it's really good i'll have it with anything else just not seafood mm. and again it's the weird thing because i grew up with with, with But you don't. You can make it with fish. You
1: don't need to make it with other type of seafood. I'll try it with fish because I think I'll I eat it
0: with fish. I
1: had a combo one, so I had.
0: Oh Jesus! I always made it with combo. With, when I grew up, like with crab sticks. And... Oh no!
1: I mean, I had Ugh. with chicken and fish.
0: Oh. Yeah, there there's oh. a
1: there was a combo in, I think it was Portugal. They had a. We went to a restaurant and they had. Weekend. what is it? was actually really good.
0: <laughs> I imagine you don't taste the chicken. Uh, it it was it was quite good. Chicken,
1: the thing with chicken is it has a very it takes up the flavor of what you eat it with. So fish. Yeah. So it's the mm. same type of It's, like it's really good. chicken flavor
0: fish flavored chicken. Yeah, it was really good. It wasn't that bad? I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, I just find it quite weird to combine two things. Yeah. But again, chicken tastes like mm-hmm. basically nothing. And we, one that was
1: also very, very popular was um, squid ink. So black paella. paella. So it was oh. everything was black because the flavor it was squid ink. Yeah. Maybe,
0: maybe I should make paella with calamari because I do like calamari.
1: You can make it with anything you want.
0: Basically, you... yes, basically. Yeah, anyway. So paella is a Spanish rice dish originally from Valencia. Paella is one of the best known dishes in Spanish cuisine. For this reason, many non-Spaniards view view it as a Spanish national dish, but Spaniards most anonymously consider it to be a dish from the Valencian region. Valencians in return regard paella as one of the identifying symbols. Hmm. Paella takes its name from the wide, shallow traditional pan used to cook the dish on an open fly- fire, which, which means frying pan in Valencian. Hmm. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah, but you have Portuguese family. No, but. So sh- 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 yeah, but
1: it's not just that. I went to way too many paella restaurants.
0: <laughs> As a dish, it may have ancient roots, but it, in its modern form, it is traced back to the mid nineteenth century in the rural area around the Albufera Lagoon adjacent to the city of Valencia on the coast, east coast of Spain. So they assumed that the Moors in Muslim Spain began rice cultivation around the 10th century. Consequently, Eastern Iberian Peninsula locals often made casseroles of rice, fish and spices for family gatherings and religious feasts, thus establishing a custom for eating rice in Spain. This led to rice becoming a staple in the 15th century. Afterwards, it became customary for cooks to combine rice with vegetables, beans and dry cod, providing an acceptable meal for Lent. Along Spain's eastern coast, rice was predominantly eaten with fish. Spanish food historian Lourdes March notes that the dish symbolizes the union and heritage of two important cultures, the Roman, which gives us the utensil, and the Arab, which brought us the basic food of humanity for centuries, which is rice. So there are different types of um, paella, like we said. So there's the paella Valencia, a traditional paella of the Valencia region, believed to be the original recipe, and consists of ground grain rice, bajogeta and tavela, it's uh, just varieties of green beans, peas, rabbit chicken sometimes duck and garofo a variety of lima or butter bean these are cooked in olive oil and chicken broth the dish is sometimes seasoned with some rosemary branches traditionally the yellow color comes from saffron but turmeric and calendula can be used as substitutes artichoke hearts and stems may be used as seasonal ingredients have you ever had artichoke? no I want to try it. I want to what it tastes like. I know it's a mission Mission to eat. Because you have all these layers of leaves.
1: Uh, I would think it would be very similar to... Uh, cabbage. I don't know why. I feel like... I don't know what the water plummiki is in English.
0: I feel it's like... It's going to be something like lotus, but it's not that.
1: I, f- I feel like it's this. It's the same because it looks the same and the texture looks the same if you...
0: Because I've seen the... the canned variety of artichokes. jokes mm. Mm. yeah but i'd like to have it you know freshly made like i've never had um brussels sprouts but i don't think i'll ever want because um someone told me it's like a condensed version of um kale a kale kale <laughs> Cabbage, cabbage.
1: It is. I um,
0: don't eat. I
1: cabbage. thought you were gonna say it's a condensed version of a fart It basically is, <laughs> <laughs> but does it taste better? It's I I like Brussels sprouts. It's okay, but you need to make, cook it correctly. It's very bitter Oh, okay. We have it's frozen like,
0: Brussels sprouts if you want.
1: <laughs> no, I'm okay. Thanks. It does make you fart though?
0: But that's milk for me. Mm. or any dairy. <laughs> yeah, and it's a it's a family. It's a cabbage family. Mm. So like. But it's the same with um, a lot of people don't like patty pans. And I love patty pans.
1: I used to hate... As a child, I didn't like patty pans because I feel like it was never cooked correctly when I ate it. Mm. Because it also has that bitter taste to it. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My family used to make like mm -hmm. a sweet sauce with it.
1: Oh. Oh. Oh.
0: Which I didn't like until I ate it salty and then I liked it.
1: That's... I know. Um, if you so take that bitter taste that some patty pans has, mm-hmm. and put a taste of cabbage on it.
0: Oh Jesus! Yeah. Fuck. That's Brussels sprouts. Mm. Yeah. Okay. No thanks. I'm good. <laughs> I, I I honestly don't like cabbage, but okay. So there's the paella de marisco. That's the seafood paella. Mm-hmm. Um, they replace the meat with seafood and omit beans and green vegetables, while pala mixta, mixed paella, combines meat from livestock, seafood, vegetables, and sometimes beans with traditional rice. That's the one you ate. Yes, that's the one you ate. Yeah, it was good. Sure, you go <laughs> enjoy your pala mixta.
1: <laughs> it was good. Um, I must say oh, it's. I think if you. You would definitely like...
0: Um, I'll have Paella with any, yeah. anything else, with it's, fish it's, or something It's else. a it's very hearty meal. It's really nice. Not, it's, um, not with, with, like, how my family made yeah. Jesus, fuck, no.
1: Look, the seafood one is really popular, especially all the places I were, because obviously we were in the coastal mm. areas, so Seafood Paella yes. was the way to go. Yes. But um, it was quite overwhelming, because, like, literally there's, like, four five cafes and restaurants next to each other and every single one of them do paella. paella. It's like they are paella, paella restaurants. Mm. So it's so overwhelming. And especially with those faces, they're like, no, come sit here, come sit here. It's a special deal, the special deal. And I'm like, um, no, I'm, go- I'm okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I only ate paella, I think it was once or twice, maybe, mm. maybe three. No, it was once or twice. I ate a seafood one once. And then I had the mixed one.
0: Hmm.
1: It was good. And they actually bring it in the pan. Oh. Yeah, they make it in the pan and then they bring it in the do. pan.
0: Oh, okay. It's yeah. like, um, what do you eat at Ocean Basket? Oh, yeah, when they yeah. bring the pan for you. Same. Although that pan just seems very clean, though. I think they put it in the clean pan. That's they do. They do they do they it, it's their plates mm. um
1: but no they actually cook it in your pan for you yeah, okay well, depending on what restaurant you go to but it it makes the it makes it um stay warmer mm. longer for longer makes sense yeah my next one is number 5 and it's sashimi which i've never had actually but you don't really like the idea of eating raw fish um if you don't like raw fish in sushi
0: i think the thing that sort of disgusts me is the the, ra- the the rice and the seaweed you don't like the rice no it's i don't i don't know i don't know i think it's the seaweed
1: why do you don't like about the rice i
0: don't i don't know if it's because it's very like it's almost too sticky because i do like sticky rice yeah, but it's a different type of sticky. They, mm, they it's, a, it's a different type of rice as well. I don't know. I, I just don't like the whole situation.
1: But yeah, okay. So sashimi, the famous Japanese dish, mm. describes raw seafood, usually fish, which is sliced into bite-sized bits, eaten raw with soy sauce or wasabi. Mm-hmm. And wasabi, if you like. Um, the word sashimi means pierced body. This word dates from the Muro, Muromachi period and was possibly coined when the word kiru, which means cut, the culinary step, was considered too inauspicious to be used by anyone other than samurai. This word may derive from the culinary practice of sticking the fish's tail with, and fin with, uh, to slices, for the pers- purpose of identifying the fish being eaten. Interesting, okay. Another possibility for the name is the traditional method of harvesting. Sashimi grade fish is caught by individual handline. As soon as the fish is landed, its brain is pierced with a sharp spike and it is placed in slurried ice. This spiking is called the ikejime process. And the instantaneous death means that the fish's flesh contains a minimum minimal amount of lactic acid. Mm. This means that the fish will keep fresh on ice for about 10 days without turning white or otherwise degrading. To highlight the delicate flavor as well as for texture, the chef cuts fish into different thicknesses. The ver- variety of fish, its age, and by the season. The hira zukiri cut, literally flat slice, is the standard cut for most sashimi. Typically, this style of cut is the size of a domino and 10 millimeter thick. Tuna, salmon, and kingfish are most commonly cut in this style. The usu zukiri cut, literally thin slice, is extremely thin, diagonally cut slice that is mostly used to cut firm fish such as bream, whiting and flounder. The dimensions of this fish is usually 50 mm long and 2 mm wide. The kakuzukuri cut, literally square slice, is the style in which sashimi is cut into small cubes that are 20 millimeter on each side. The ituzukuri cut, literally Thread slice is the style in which the fish is cut into fine strips less than two millimeter in diameter. Jeez. The fish typically cut with the itozukiri style include garfish and squid. Squid dish prepared itozukiri is also called ikasomen and you dip them in dashi. Yeah, so with that, they actually do variations of other meat as well in sashimi style. Oh. So they usually do beef, goat, and other meats as well. Um, They do shark, dolphin. Yeah, and sashimi is seen as a delicacy. And it's usually a pre-meal oh. to your main dish. That's why it's so expensive also. Yeah.
0: Because you, you can only uh, can afford like four pieces. Yeah.
1: So um, I think what we've experienced with sashimi in South Africa is really minimal compared to what you would experience at an mm. actual Japanese restaurant. Um, but yeah, that's sashimi. Yeah. Oh, and oh, I keep on forgetting to give a Megan rating. Um, my I'll give a ten out of ten. I love fucking sashimi. Uh, I I'll try it. I've never tried it. I'll
0: definitely um, give it a try. I would say
1: try with. So generally, tuna is a bit easier to go down. Mm. Um, salmon is really nice, but it's very very rich. Mm. I know. So it's very if you it's we've had very salmon rich.
0: sandwiches before, that we made at home.
1: Yeah, but it was smoked salmon. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit there's a bit of a difference. I'll try. Um, it's buttery. I you you would like I think you would like actually sashimi as well, um salmon sashimi as well mm. because it's very buttery. It's. Mm. Ugh, I'm making myself, like, craving it now. Fuck, it's delicious. Anyway.
0: Uh, anyway, number four. I have tacos. And I gave it a Marnei rating of 9 out of 10. Because <laughs> I do like tacos. Although I've never had the... Soft shell. Yeah, but I mean, like, Taco Bell, like that type of tacos. Oh, yeah, we
1: don't have Taco Bell in those places in South Africa.
0: So we make it at home. But the ones we make at home is very nice.
1: And it's from, like, traditional... Mexican... Um, yeah, you
0: buy the box and you get the shells and you get the spices and the salsa. And
1: wait, I actually want to go to the Mexican restaurant that's here in Somerset West. Oh, yeah, I forgot
0: yeah. this one.
1: And that's the people that make the... Do the, mm. that make the yeah, anyway.
0: But the taco as we know today is a blend of ancient Mexican recipes and international influences. However, before it was known in America, natives in Mexico were eating a version that looked quite different. Tacos were thought to come from Mexico long before the Spanish arrived. Ancient Mexicans used freshly made soft flat corn tortillas and made them with fillings like fish and cooked organs. It was a staple meal that provided vital nutrients and energy for those who consumed it. These tacos didn't obtain the cheese, lettuce, sour cream and tomato that we associate with the meal today. In fact the taco we know is less than a hundred years old. The word taco is actually quite new. It originated from Mexican silver miners in the 18th century. Gunpowder was wrapped in a paper like taquito and inserted into rocks before detonation. By this time, tacos were known as the food of the working class, which included miners. This resulted the portable street food being called Tacos de Minero, minero, which is known as miners' tacos. Hmm. Hmm, That's quite interesting. The t- tortilla in these miners' tacos weren't as hot as, as a hard U-shaped shell like we know today. Instead, it was a corn tortilla with a spicy filling. This daily staple was filling, delicious, and affordable. The taco was first introduced into, n- into the, in the United States in 1905. American migrants were coming to work on the railroads and other jobs and started bringing their delicious food with them. Tacos were essentially a street food at this time, since since they were highly portable and cheap. In fact, Americans first became exposed to tacos through a Mexican food carts in Los Angeles that were run by women called Chilli Queens. Mm, that's quite cute. These ladies sold delicious economic Mexican food like soft corn tortilla tacos and they were deemed exotic by any American that tried one. The fillings were incredibly spicy and unfamiliar to the American palate. By 1920, the food Mexican immigrants brought in started to fuse with American ingredients. Organs were replaced with some palatable ground beef and chicken. Cheddar cheese, cool lettuce, tomato became standard fillings. This became known as the ultimate taco to Americans whose traditional cuisine favoured more subtle flavours. In short, the taco was becoming something of a Mexican-American fusion. Things got even more interesting when Taco Bell became mainstream and created a breed of Mexican food that wasn't authentically Mexican at all. <laughs> it's actually quite funny if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Ironic, actually. The pre-fried U-shaped taco shell we love didn't come into existence until the 1940s. Mexicans patented this idea first to expedite the taco-making process. Taco Bell took this idea 10 years later to streamline their operations. Nowadays, you can find tacos practically anywhere from your local street food stand to Chipotle. Each place has a different experience to offer, whether it's an authentic or Mexican-inspired fusion meal.
1: So that's that. They have burritos that's basically
0: the size of an arm. I know. I've had a burrito before. It's actually quite nice. Oh, I've had as well. But the thing is, I can only do the wild shit. I can't do the stuff uh, with the onions and the stuff with this and this and this. Otherwise, I'll shit myself to death.
1: Yeah. Oh, I I love Mexican food.
0: Oh.
1: Um, but uh, everyone loves Taco Bell, but everyone says, obviously, it's not. <laughs> yeah.
0: Your stomach.
1: Yeah. they say... <laughs> I saw this post where someone said, um, oh, I got talk about yesterday and then talk about commented on the twitter um post and he's like and they they said oh what did you get he said diarrhea but it was worth
0: it <laughs> <laughs> oh shit uh, that's so funny yeah <laughs> uh.
1: okay my next one is number three and it is ramen Hmm. So, ramen, literally meaning pulled noodles, is a Japanese noodle soup. It consists of Chinese wheat noodles served in a meat or occasionally fish-based broth. Often flavoured with soy sauce or miso and uses toppings such as sliced pork, nori, which is dried seaweed, menma and scallions. Nearly every region in Japan has its own variation of ramen. Such as tonkotsu, pork bone broth, that's what it is. Okay. Tonkotsu. Ramen of Kyoshu, and the misu ramen of Hokkaido. Mazemen is a ramen dish that is not served in a soup but rather with a sauce, such as tare, like noodles that are served with a sweet and sour sauce. Ramen is a. <laughs> ramen. Ramen. <laughs> is a Japanese adaptation of Chinese wheat noodles. One theory says that ramen was first introduced to Japan during the 1660s by the Chinese neo Confucian scholar Zhu Shunsui, who served as an advisor to Tokugawa Mitsukuni. After he became a refugee in Japan to escape Manchu rule, and Mitsukuni uh, became the first Japanese person to eat ramen. Although most historians reject this theory as a myth created by the Japanese to embellish the origins of ramen. Hmm. The more plausible theory is that ramen was introduced by Chinese immigrants in the late 19th or early 20th century at Yokohama's Chinatown. According to the record of Yokohama Ramen Museum, ramen is originated in China and made it its way over to, J- to Japan in 1859. Early versions were wheat noodles in broth topped with Chinese-style roast pork. The word ramen is a Japanese transcription of the Chinese liamian, and that's why it is not ramen is not written in. Hiragana scripture. Um, it's actually written in Kanji. No, Katakana, oh. which is the one that is used for foreign words. Mm. The first ramen shop named Rai, Rai Raiken. <laughs> in 19, 1910, the first ramen shop named Rai Raiken opened at Asakusa, Tokyo. Where the Japanese owner employed 12 Cantonese cooks from Yokohama's Chinatown and served the ramen arranged for Japanese customers. Until the 1950s, ramen was called Shina soba, literally Chinese soba, uh, but today Chuka soba, also meaning Chinese soba, or just ramen, are more common, as the word Shina meaning China, has acquired a pejorative connotation. In 1958, instant noodles were invented by Momofuku Ando, the Taiwanese-Japanese founder and chairman of Nissin Foods. Named the greatest Japanese invention of the 20th century in a Japanese bowl, instant ramen allowed anyone to make an approximate of this dish simply by adding boiling water. Beginning in the 1980s, ramen became a Japanese cultural icon and was studied around the world from many perspectives. At the same time, local variants, no, nope, local varieties of ramen were hitting the national market and could, be, could even be ordered by their regional names. A ramen museum opened in Yokohama in 1994. Today, ramen is arguably one of Japan's most popular foods, with Tokyo alone containing around 5,000 ramen shops and more than 24,000 ramen shops uh, across Japan. Tsuta, a ramen restaurant in Tokyo's Sugama district, received a Michelin star in December of 2015. Jeez. Yeah. Hmm. That's not easy to get a Michelin star. No, so... At ramen shop getting a Michelin star. But I love ramen, so. Mm. And I'll give it a Megan rating of 10 out of 10.
0: <laughs> I've never really had ramen, so I can't comment. I've had... You make your own. I make my own, but I also have had... I know you sent me a picture once at the one of the restaurants you were yeah. with this massive bowl of ramen. Fuck,
1: it was delicious. Yeah. I've had traditional ramen m- more than once. But I do make my own ramen as well mm. with traditional ingredients
0: mm. So, you know, I've never had it so unfortunately I can't give it a Marnei rating. <laughs> so it's going to be a question mark rating.
1: but you've had instant noodle ramen but that's not compar- oh, compared to, to,
0: <laughs> please don't take me back to my university years yeah
1: see most people <laughs> know instant noodles as um, when they couldn't afford anything else and like oh, that's what they lived off of oh. that's what I think most Americans remember it as that as well um, that's
0: an instant soup. Yeah. <laughs> oh.
1: So um no, I love ramen. I can eat instant noodles every day, any day, because I make a variation of flavors. Uh, yeah, so that's
0: fine. But you know, if you're if you're very limited with items at hand. Oh, I use anything we have at home. No, no, I mean just a
1: kettle. Oh yeah, I know that. But I mean, you can make ramen now exactly how many years has it been <laughs> so <laughs> you can do it
0: now <laughs> I can I should actually I should yeah I should but in any case at number two yes <laughs> have sushi yes and I'm giving it a marnai rating of minus two <laughs> <laughs> you just haven't had the right sushi I wrote you two but it's supposed to be minus two because I can't stand the smell the taste the texture uh any goes. <laughs> so the history of sushi is actually very interesting mm. because it's very westernized. The sushi that we know today is so westernized. It's yeah. not the sushi that's from many years ago. So it's actually from China in the sixth second century AD. Damn. Originally sushi arose out of a way of preserving food fish was placed in rice and allowed to ferment, which allowed an individual to keep the fish edible for some time. The rice was thrown away and the fish was eaten when needed or wanted. The method spread throughout China by the 7th century and had made its way to Japan, where seafood was historically been a staple. The Japanese, however, took the concept further and began to eat the rice with the fish. Originally, the dish was prepared in such the sa- in much of the same manner. By the early 17th century, however, Matsumoto Yoshichi of Edo, now Tokyo, started seasoning the rice with rice wine vinegar while making a sushi for sale. This allowed the dish to be eaten immediately instead of waiting the months it might normally take to separate to prepare the sushi. In the early 19th century, a man by the name of Hanaya Yohei, conceived a major change in the production and preservation of his sushi. No longer wrapping the fish in rice, he placed a piece of fresh fish on top of of, of an oblong-shaped piece of seasoned rice. Today, we call this style nigiri sushi, finger sushi, or edomai sushi, from Edo, the same of Tokyo at the time. And is now the common way of eating Japanese sushi. At the time, sushi was served with sushi from sushi, stalls on the street and was meant to be a snack on or quick bite to eat um on the go. Served from the stall was not only the first of the real fast food sushi but quickly became wildly popular. From his home in Edo, this time this style of s- serving sushi rapidly spread throughout Japan, aided by the great Kanto earthquake in nineteen twenty three, as many people lost their homes and businesses and moved from Tokyo. After World War II, the sushi stores were shut down and moved indoors for, to more sanitary conditions. More formal seating was later provided. The first iteration were merely an indoor version of the sushi stores and sushi changed from fast food to a true dining experience. Sushi spread around the globe and with advent from the promotion of seafood, this unusual style of serving fish was quickly adopted by Western cultures. Always eager to something new, especially something that has grown as sophisticated and unique as sushi. The Oxford English Dictionary notes the earliest written mention of sushi in an 1893 book called The Japanese Interiors, where it mentioned that domestics served us with tea and sushi or rice sandwiches. However, there is also mention of sushi in a Japanese English dictionary from 1873 and an 1879 article on Japanese cookery in the journal Notes and Queries. Additionally, the 1879 best-selling book A Tour Around the World by General Grant by James Dabney McCabe What a weird name, James McCabney McCabe describes former President Ulysses S. Grant dining on the sashimi version of sashimi during his visit to Japan. Anyway, but, fun fact, sushi is a $22 billion industry. Damn. Because a lot of people like sushi, yeah, unlike me.
1: Doing, I would give it a Megan rating of 10 out of 10. Sushi is definitely one of my, weirdly enough, the top three is my top three foods.
0: Uh, I know when I saw the first one, yeah.
1: So, and it's interchangeable, like I said, depending on um, which one I like the best. And then, for number one, it's pizza. Yay! Pizza! I mean, who doesn't like pizza? Yeah,
0: who doesn't like pizza? I would give that a Marnay rating of 9.5 out of 10.
1: (laughs) Will anything get a 10 out of 10? Only like a traditionally home-cooked meal in South Africa for you.
0: No, that would be a 9 out of 10.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... Some three billion pizzas are sold each year in the United States alone, an average of forty six slices per person. Fucking hell! People have been eating pizza in one form or another for centuries, as far back as antiquity. Pieces of flatbread topped with savories served as simple and tasty meal served as a so, simple and tasty meal for those who could not afford plates or who were on, on the go. These early pizzas appear in Virgin Virgil's iron Shortly after arriving in Latium, Ionias and his crew sat down beneath a tree and laid out thin, wheaten cakes as platters for their meal. They then scattered them with mushrooms and herbs they had found in the woods and guzzled them down, crust and all, prompting Aeneas' son, Ascanias, to exclaim, look, we've even eaten our plates. <laughs> <laughs> but it was in the late 18th century, Naples, that the pizza, as we know, na- as we now know, it came into being. Under the Bourbon kings, Naples had become one of the largest cities in Europe. And it was growing fast. Fueled by overseas trade and a steady influx of peasants from the countryside, its population ballooned from 200,000 in 1700 to 399,000 in 1748. As the urban uh, economy struggled to keep pace, an ever greater number of the city's inhabitants fell into poverty. The most abject of these were known as Lazzaroni because their ragged appearance resembled that of Lazarus. Numbering around 50,000, they scraped by on the pittance they earned as porters, messengers, or casual labourers. Always rushing about in search of work, they needed food that was cheap and easy to eat. Pizzas Pizzas met this need sold not in shops but by street vendors carrying huge boxes under their arms. They would be cut to meet the customer's budget or appetite. As Alexandre
0: Dumas noted (laughs) I'm sorry I have to stop you there. So it's cut by the person's budget so it's cheaper if I take it in squares. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or in like a weird shape like a puzzle shape. (laughs) Um... As Alexandre
1: Dumas noted in Le Coricola*, 1843, a two liard slice would make a good breakfast while two sous-sous would buy a pizza large enough for a whole family. None of them were terribly complicated. Though similar in some respects to Virgil's flatbreads, they were now defined by inexpensive, Easy to find ingredients with plenty of flavor. The simplest were topped with nothing more than garlic, lard, and salt, but mm. others included Casio Cavallo, Caval, Cavallo, Cavallo, a cheese made from horses' milk. Seminelli. s s s s White bait or basil. Some even had tomatoes on top. Only recently introduced from the Americans, Americas. These were still a curiosity looked down upon by contemporary gourm- gourmets, But it was their unpopularity and hence their low price that made them attractive. Hmm. For a long time, pizzas were scorned by food writers associated with the crunching poverty of the Lazzaroni. They were frequently denigrated as disgusting, especially by foreign visitors. In 1831, Samuel Morse, inventor of the Telegraph, described pizza as a species of the most nauseating cake covered covered over with slices of pomodoro or tomatoes and sprinkled with little fish and black pepper And I know not what other ingredients. It altogether looks like a piece of bread that has been taken reeking out of the sewer. (laughs) Really? Oh, my word. When the first first cookbooks appeared in the late 19th century, they pointedly ignored pizza. Even those dedicated to Napolitan cuisine disdained to mention it, despite the fact that the gradual improvement in the Lazzaroni status had prompted the appearance of the first pizza restaurants. All that changed after Italian unification. While well, on a visit to Naples in 1889, King Umberto I first, first, and Queen Margherita grew tired of the complicated French dishes they were served for breakfast, lunch and dinner hastily summoned to prepare some local specialities for the queen. The pizzaiolo, the pizzaiolo, the pizzaiolo, Rafael esposto, pos, Esposito, Esposito,
0: Esposito,
1: <laughs> Rafael, Raphael Esposito cooked three sorts of pizza, one with lard, Cacchio, fallo, fallo, and basil. Another with sesinieri, <laughs> and a third with tomatoes, mozzarella, and basil. The queen oh, was delighted. Her favorite. Good. The queen was delighted. Her favorite. The last of the three was christened Pizza Margherita in her honor. This signaled an important shift. Margherita's seal of approval not only elevated the pizza from being a food fit only for Lazzaroni. To, be, to being something a royal family could enjoy, but also transformed pizza from a local into a truly national dish. It introduced uh, the notion that pizza was generally Italian food, akin to pasta and polenta. Hmm. Nevertheless, pizza was slow to move on, out of Naples. The initial spur was provided by migration. From the 1930s onwards, a growing number of Napolitans moved northwards in search of work, taking the cuisine with them. This trend was accelerated by war. When Allied soldiers invaded Italy in 1943 to 1944, they were so taken by the pizza they encountered in Campania that they asked for it whenever else, wherever else they went. But it was tourism facilitated by the declining cost of travel in the post-war period that really consolidated pizza's position as a truly Italian dish. As tourists became increasingly curious about about Italian food, restaurants throughout the peninsula started offering more regional specialities, including including pizza. The quality was, at first, variable. Not every restaurant had a pizza oven. Nevertheless, pizza quickly spread throughout Italy. As it did so, new ingredients were introduced in response to local tastes and the higher prices that customers were now willing to pay. But it was in America that pizza found its second home. By the end of the 19th century, Italian immigrants had already reached the East Coast. And in 1905, the first pizzeria uh, Lombardi's was opened soon pizza became an american institution spreading across the country in step with the growing pace of urbanization was quickly taken up by enterprising restaurants who were often not from an italian background and adapted to reflect local tastes identities and needs shortly after the u.s entered the second world war a texan named ike sewell Attempted to attract new customers to his newly opened Chicago pizzeria by offering a much heartier version of the dish Complete with a deeper, thicker crust and richer, more abundant toppings Usually with cheese at the bottom and a mountain of chunky tomato sauce heaped on top of it At about the same time, the Rocky Mountain Pie was developed in Colorado Although not as as deep as its its Chicago relative, it had a much wider crust, which was meant to be eaten with honey as a dessert. Hmm. In time, these were even joined by a Hawaiian version, thought with ham and pineapple.
0: Yes, my favorite. Much
1: much to the bewilderment of Napolitans. Why though? It's delicious. So good. From the 1950s onwards, the rapid pace of economic and technological change in the U.S. transformed the pizza even more radically. Two changes are worthy of note. The first was the domestication of pizza. As disposable incomes grew, fridges and freezers became increasingly common and demand for convenience foods grew, prompting the the development of the frozen pizza designed to be taken home and cooked at wool. This required changes to be made to the recipe. Instead of being scattered with generous slices of tomato, the base was now smothered with a smooth tomato paste, which served to prevent the dough from drying out during oven cooking. And now cheeses had to be developed to withstand freezing. The second change was the commercialization of pizza. With the growing availability of cars and motorcycles, it became possible to deliver freshly cooked food to customers' doors. And pizza was among f- for the first dishes to be served up. In 1960, Tom and James Monaghan founded Dominique, Dominique's uh, in Michiga, Michigan, <laughs> Michigan, <laughs> and after winning a reputation for speedy delivery, took the company, which they named Domino's, nationwide. They and their competitors ex- expanded abroad so that now there's a scarcely there is scarcely a city in the world where they cannot be found.
0: We don't have one.
1: We have Dominoes. Where? Uh Stenobosch, Cape Town. But not here. Stomstead yeah, but West. N- nothing comes to fucking Summer Stom- Somerset West. <laughs> We're a black hole
0: of the <laughs> <laughs> the world. Yeah, so um yeah. We're only going to get a Starbucks in August. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So Starbucks is how long in South Africa now? It's been a while. It's been a while? It's been a while. And how long was it before we got a a Burger King? A Burger King was the
1: first to come to South Africa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of And Tiger Valley? Well, KFC and McDonald's, but that doesn't count because that's Mm. been in South Africa for... A lot of years mm. but burger king only came after we finished high school yeah so that's after 2010 mm. so it was in the mid 2010s i think it was about 2011 20 no it was later than that oh. i was working in um, still recent though i was working uh bobby brown already mm. so that would have been 2014 2015 and can you remember the pictures that people took from, from the line, From the queues of... And the first Burger King was in Cape Town itself. Mm-hmm. And then that was about 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. And uh, then now Burger King, you can get everywhere. But yeah. Burger King was the first international restaurant that, chain that came to South Africa. Mm. And then we had Dunkin' Donuts. But Dunkin' Donuts, I think they stopped. I don't think they made money in South Africa.
0: Yeah. Now we have crispy crispy cream. cream. Which is amazing. Oh, fuck it's so good.
1: And then we have a lot of the places are in Johannesburg, mm. not Cape Town though. Mm.
0: But yeah, Same, yeah. So
1: um the original pizzas had pieces of tomato, not actual tomato paste like you get now.
0: Yeah, well, that's quite interesting. Mm. I Quite like pizza.
1: Oh, I love pizza. Megan rating. 20 out of 10.
0: I second that. <laughs> I second that.
1: No, so it definitely my top three, three favorite foods are pizza, sushi, and ramen. And it's interchangeable. I love pasta as well, but I, it, it depends. Hmm. But ramen, ramen is definitely top three.
0: But the next episode, we will discuss the 10 best theme parts of the world.
1: Nice, that's gonna be so cool. Mm
0: hmm, can't yeah. wait for that one. So stay tuned for that. Remember to follow us on all the social medias and also to support us on Patreon. Yes, your support is very much appreciated. We are literally working on. Um, New things for the Patreon, Patreon support, supporters. Support. Yes. Um. So exclusive content for Patreon. Exactly. Exclusive. Yes. Very exclusive. So, so keep an eye out for that. Yes. And then till next week. Cheers for years. Cheers for years.